Well, greetings once again, fellow strangers and pilgrims. Those who are pressing on that upward way to glory, I invite you to once again turn to the theme song for the week, number 382. I'm pressing on the upward way, and this evening as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to stand on the second verse. I've been doing this for a purpose. Sometimes illustrations stick in our minds better than something somebody simply says. But standing to your feet takes effort. Sitting, you can relax. Pressing on the upward way takes effort. Therefore, standing equals effort equals, if you really want to press on, it's fitting to stand as you sing this song. Once again, sing from the heart. Let the words be your testimony and prayer. Number 382. I'm pressing hard the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, my faith on heaven, stable
I struggled. Struggled and am struggling with the message that I feel God wants me to share tonight. I struggled for a couple reasons. Struggle because the devil told me, he said, those folks, those folks at Prairie don't need this message. Yet the Lord said they do. And then I struggled with the fact that the devil said, well, you're hardly the one to bring this message. And yet the Lord said, <clears throat> If you're willing, I'll use your lips and I'll use your life. Brothers and sisters, I just ask that you, you would sing a prayer song with me before we go into this. Do you know the song, Lord, Prepare Me to Be a Sanctuary? You sing that with me. Lord, prepare me. There's a violent storm one evening, and a large tree which over the years had become a very stately giant was found lying across a pathway in a park. Nothing but a splintered stump was left. There was no indication on the outside of this tree that there was anything wrong with the tree. For children were playing underneath it. People walked down that pathway all the time. And had it looked dangerous, somebody would have removed it. A closer examination of that tree revealed that it was rotten to the core because thousands and thousands of tiny insects had burrowed through it. And the weakness of that tree was not brought about by the sudden storm, but rather it began way, way, way back when that first insect started burrowing into that tree. God doesn't see us as man sees us. God looks directly in to our hearts. Jesus said, our text tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, as he gave that sermon there on the mount, in verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. And I know that's the desire and prayer of each of us tonight. We want to see God, do we not? Is that not our desire? If it's not, there's a problem in our heart. Jesus said, the only way to see God is by having a pure heart. And this word pure is from a Greek word, karthosis. And it means a cleansing of the mind and emotions. And it's a very interesting word. Once again, it's a two-part word. First of all, it means to make pure by cleansing from filth and contamination. It's like putting that dirty load of laundry into the washing machine and then pouring in Tide or whatever your American equivalent is, the best detergent that there is, and washing those clothes and pulling them out and there's nothing on them. They're clean. It's like taking that grain and sifting it to make sure there's no chaff in it. So all you've got left, it, it, it's to purify metal, to heat it up, to get rid of all dross that is in there. That's the first meaning. The second meaning is to be totally unmixed or having no double allegiance. Integrity. Singleness of heart. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other or despise one and cleave to the other. And... Brothers and sisters, too often we make a little bit of room in our lives for something else when God needs the entire throne in order to reign in my heart. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Purity is a topic that runs through the scriptures from start to finish. And when we look at purity, if we look at pure in heart tonight, we're going to have to understand a few things. The very first thing we need to understand is God is pure and holy himself. Isaiah, when he caught a vision in the year that Uzziah died, he was there. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. It says his train filled the temple. And there were seraphims that were flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. It said at the voice of them, the doors in the temple were shaking. And what was Isaiah's view when he saw the Lord for who he was? He immediately saw himself for who he was. And he says, woe, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he falls down. And one of the seraphim go and they take a live coal off the altar. Types and shadows and symbolism. Who was our altar sacrifice? He flies over there and he lays it on his lips. And the Lord cleanses him. And then after he, he does all that, he manages to hear God saying, who shall I send? And who will go for us? And he says, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. God, God is so pure and holy. And this takes me a lot, brothers and sisters, to really try to wrap my mind about it. I, I can't fathom it in my, in my human weaknesses and carnality I cannot fathom this but God cannot be tempted with sin there's nothing out there to tempt him 
If you look in James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts, that which lies inside and enticed. And that scares me this evening, because that means the source of my temptations comes from within. And why is it sometimes that I battle and I battle and I battle with temptation? Is because the lusts haven't been crucified. I still got them within me. I have not allowed Jesus to make my heart totally pure, to wash totally clean, and get rid of that influence. We make provision for the flesh. We say, well, as long as we're here, we're going to live in the flesh, right? So we're just going to have to be prepared to do battle here. Battle's a sign of life. Oh, it is. It is, but God demands purity. Be ye holy, for I am holy. He is pure, and not only is he pure, he created everything pure. When he created that Garden of Eden, when he made the earth, Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that, that's a poor English translation. Behold, it was absolutely perfect. No sin, no blemish, everything. Until, until sin entered the picture. And the blemish that that brought within Genesis 6. When we read the fall, it says in verse, or Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, when the woman saw... The serpent came to the woman. Somehow he knew where the weakest link would be. And God had told Adam, before Eve was created, do not eat of that tree or you will die. And the devil comes in the form of a serpent. Eve looks at it. It says, verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they became wise. Oh yeah, they became wise. They knew they were naked. They knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out and Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee? Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Purity was lost. They saw they were naked. They tried to cover up. And I praise God this evening that the story doesn't end there because it could have, but God has provided a way that we can have a positional purity inside of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The moment we are saved, that blood comes in and cleanses us. And when God looks at us, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus bore the sins of the world and the only way he could be the perfect sacrifice 
was because of the holy blood which was God the Father's blood inside of his veins and that was shed for us. And when God sees us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. It's only because of God's purifying that we can stand before him. It's the only way. You know, we have been given white robes. John, when he saw that vision of heaven, he saw a great multitude, a number which no man could number, of all nationalities, kindreds, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And they were people who were wearing white robes, and they were around the throne praising God in Revelation 7, 13 and 14. And one of the elders answering said unto me, Who are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It is possible to be pure inside because of what God does for us. It's not impossible. The devil will tell you it's impossible. You look at God. You look at everything he created. And then you look at a practical purity. If. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Isn't it kind of impractical to be given white robes in this dirty world that we live in? And I want to tell you something very clearly. No matter what the glitter, the glamour, the allure of that world out there, the devil trying to get you out into that, the world is a sandbox and it's got nothing but dirt in it. Why would God Give us white robes. A while ago, quite a while ago, in one of our family worships back home, we had a story. There was a, a school that was taking a field trip, and they were going to go to a coal mine. And they were in a poor part of Kentucky, I suppose, where... People didn't have a lot of good clothes, and the one girl came to go on this, this school trip in the best that she had, and it was a white dress. And the other children started to snicker at her. Oh, what do you wear a white dress for today? Don't you know we're going to go visit a coal? You'll never be able to go down to that coal mine. And the old-time coal miner that was giving them the tour comforted the sobbing girl. He said, there, there. He said, you can. You can go on this tour. He said, you can go in there with your dress on, but i got to warn you. It won't be white when you come out. Oh, brothers and sisters, I wish the devil was that honest that he would tell us that when he leads us out there into something, we're not going to return in the condition that we went out in. But we don't listen to the devil, do we? God gave us those white robes for a purpose. So that we know, so that we can see, so that... Oh, oh. Practical purity. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's some words in there that indicate to me that this is an ongoing process. God gives us positional purity, but then he expects us 
to keep those robes cleaned up. And I believe that there's a progressive sanctification that goes along with this. I believe that God gave us a white robe so he can reveal to us when there's spots on it and we can avail ourselves of his grace and we can get those spots, those stains taken care of. We don't have to keep them stained. The devil would have you believe that all you need to do is get out a bucket of whitewash and a roller and paint over it. And paint over it. But there's a problem here because I've told you that the temptations come from within me. So therefore, if there is a stain and I go out there and I blame it against rubbing up against the world, no, because God wants us to be in the world. He wants us to be a light. He would not send us out there on an impossible mission. What happens is the stain is coming from within. So you can put the whitewash on. It will stain again. You need to go into the heart and get it pure. You know, coming back to our text, Jesus is talking to people that knew all about surface control impurity. They were masters at this. If Jesus had it just simply said, blessed are the pure, they could have been happy. But he went below the surface and he went down inside. And you know, some of his harshest criticism was to those who profess to be religious, the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. But within, you're full of extortion and excesses. Thou blind Pharisee. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you're like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also appear outwardly righteous unto men. But within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What a judgment. What a judgment. Jesus went on further. He looked at the people that were following. The people who were professing. Matthew 15 verse 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Why is it so important that the heart is clean? It's like I told you. Out of the heart comes everything. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the real me. We need a changed heart. Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, Thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Oh, it's not a pretty list at all. We live. We live in a morally corrupt world. We have a warning in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1 it says, Be ye followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us, and give himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 
That's referring to that, that sacrifice that cleanses us. But then it goes on to say in verse 3, But fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is in idolatry, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedient. But be ye not therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable in the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Oh, brothers and sisters, wrong is being called right and wrong is being called normal. It is a shame to even speak of those things which are done to them in secret. It used to be. It used to be. I'm appalled. I'm appalled today as you pick up even a national newspaper, the sort of details that you will get in front page news about what's going on in the world. When a certain president of yours was in immoral conduct in the White House, this goes back 15, 20 years. It's before my daughter could read. And I remember picking up the newspaper and reading details about that man that weren't fit to print. And I thought, oh, am I ever glad that my poor young innocent girl can't read this. And the Lord rebuked me and said, why are you reading it? Why are you reading it? Practical purity. You know, it's such a vast subject here. The world is fast becoming a darker place to live in all the time. When you can take a homosexual relationship and try to somehow give it sanctity by calling it marriage. I wonder what God thinks. Has God changed at all since the Ten Commandments were given? Not one little bit! Those still exist and they're there for a purpose. His moral code can be broken if you want to disregard it, but it will be to your detriment. And societies will rise and fall based upon those ten simple commandments. Trust me. America, Canada, they're ripe for judgment because we're disregarding the word of God. And we cannot, we cannot have his blessing when we do that. But look, look around. It's hard. It's hard to even know sometimes what's right, what's acceptable. We live in a digital age. And it's not my intention tonight to preach 
at length upon the filth that's out there, okay? But I know that a generation ago, pornography was something you had to search out. You had to look for it. Now, brothers and sisters, you have to purpose. Men, we have to do like David said. We have to make a covenant with our eyes. We will turn away. We will not look because it surrounds us. It's so bad that even so-called safe magazines, and I don't know what it's like down here, and I'm not, as I share personal testimony with you, please not take it as any sort of a judgment upon yourselves. We used to get the Canadian Reader's Digest. And it, it's an interesting digest. And I like the humor in it. And I like the articles. But I was starting to get a little bit perturbed about the amount of advertising in there that featured unclothed female form artistically posed to be acceptable. And it wasn't until I was talking with my neighbor who is also a brother in the Lord. And he told me, he said, yeah, I know what you mean, Tom. He said, the last one that came in, he said, there was a picture on the cover. He said that it so disturbed me when I walked by it, I turned it over so I wouldn't be seeing it. And the Lord just convicted me. I mean, does it mean we don't get anything into our homes? There's even hunting magazines. My boys love hunting. I'll go through a magazine and I'll tear out what I think shouldn't be there. And I'm not telling you how to make judgments in your own home, okay? But here's something that I have found aids me in making determinations at times. We often say, what would Jesus do? And the proof is we know what Jesus would do, but it's sometimes hard to apply it to myself. So I want to share with you a poem that Lois Eads wrote. And it said, it's entitled, If Jesus Came to Your House. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpected, just dropped in on you, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there that serving him in your home was joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome for your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud, hasty word? And would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you, just, could you let Jesus walk right in or, or would you rush about? And I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? And would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? And would the songs 
Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? And would you take Jesus with you everywhere you plan to go? Or maybe you would change your plans for just a day or so. Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or hope that they would stay away until his visit ends? And would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone? Oh, it might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came to your house to spend some time with you. Because we live in the midst of a morally corrupt world, it is imperative fathers, mothers, there's things your children need to hear directly from you. And I want to tell you something. If you don't tell them, the world is going to. And whose view do you want them to wind up with? Young people, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves. Marriage is the most wonderful thing. And the greatest gift you can give to your spouse is yourself. The world has decided that if it feels good, you just go ahead and do it. God has created physical intimacy to be the strongest bond that a male and female can know. And it's like an adhesive tape. You put a tape on and it's pressed on and it sticks well. Now if you put that tape together and you, with some work, get it peeled off and you peel it away. And then you stick it on another surface. You will find you can peel it away a little bit easier and you stick it on another surface. And it comes easier and then you stick it on. And by the time you get done, that tip does, the tape doesn't stick anywhere because it's been misused. That's the way it is. People don't even begin to know what commitment, what the ability to stick through things means because there's nothing there for them to stick to. I know sometimes in our circles we have people who aren't necessarily happily married, but it grieves me to the core. As I see the progression, I know because it's in relatives within our own family circle. Men who are willing to leave their wives, their godly wives and their children and head out into the world and practice all kinds of wickedness. We think it could never happen to us. But it does and it's happening with greater frequency. Why is it happening? It's because there are little ants that are climbing inside and they're starting to eat away and we're not taking care of them. It's because there's a problem with moral purity inside. You look. You look. In the Old Testament, men who were able to stand. How did Daniel and those three young men stand? Daniel purposed in his heart. And you know, when Joseph was there with Potiphar's wife, it wasn't a one-time temptation. It wasn't like, 
It was just there. And whoo, I'm glad I avoided that. It says, as she pressed him day by day. And yet he kept running the other way. You see, here's the problem. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now we know that God isn't tempting us, right? We read that. It says, But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Now why is it I fall into temptation? I'll tell you why. It's because the devil knows how to mesmerize. He knows how to get me looking and thinking that that is the greatest thing in the world. In the meantime, God has got an escape route. And I'll tell you something. I'm a slow learner. It took a lot till I realized that when I face temptation, all I got to do is, Lord, show me the escape route. And it's there. It's there every time. I guarantee you. God is faithful. But you have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. God provides a way of escape. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See, there's a reason why God wants us to be pure. It's because one day there is coming an ultimate purity. Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride and it's going to be those who are cleansed and ready to go. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote, It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. Here is the test. Am I living a life? 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3, Beloved, now we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We're getting ready for that. We want to be like Jesus so that when he appears, we can go on to perfection with him. And there will be no more sin and no more temptation and no more sorrow. There will be ultimate purity there in glory. Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5. Thou hast a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. If Jesus was standing here tonight, and God was sitting there on the judgment throne, would he look at my life? And would he confess me before the Father because I've lived a life that has endeavored to have a pure heart? You know, Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount. And when he came down from the mountain, it says that a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. I want to. And he reached out and he touched him and he said, Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was gone. That's all it takes this evening. That's all it takes. It takes an acknowledgement that I've got a stain in my life that needs cleansing. 
And it simply takes bringing it to Jesus Christ and allowing him to cleanse it. Jesus wants to reach out and touch an area of my life tonight that's not clean and cleanse it. We made a commitment to allow the Lord to search us.